Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And for more than 10 years with SNN, I've been doing interviews with microcap management teams at investor conferences globally, as well as online. Our SNN Live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest, and then one can discover more by going to that company website. But personally, I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on that's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies, so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Peter Londa, president and CEO of Tantalus Systems Holding Inc. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is GRID on the TSX. Tantalus is a smart grid technology company that transforms aging one-way grids into future-proofed multi-directional grids that improve the efficiency, reliability, and sustainability of public power and electric cooperative utilities in the communities they serve. Tantalus was founded in 1989 and went public in early 2021 via an RTO with RiseTech. Despite being around for over 30 years, the company is very new to the public markets and just starting to get the word out on who they are and their smart grid technology. I invited Peter on today because I wanted to better understand why the utility market needs a technology upgrade right now and how Tantalus is looking to capitalize on key industry trends driving smart grid spend how Tantalus's smart grid solutions work using a couple examples in the field, how Tantalus wants to automate the meter process, and why they are not just another meter manufacturer. And with that, please enjoy my conversation with Peter Londa, president and CEO of Tantalus Systems Holding. Welcome back to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. And joining me today is Peter Londa president and CEO of Tantalus. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is G-R-I-D, GRID, on the TSX. And with that, Peter, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm great, Robert. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. You know, I, I wanted to do an interview with you on here because, you know, this is one of those stories that, um, or one of the companies, I mean, you know, a story, a company, of course, narrative, yeah. um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, I haven't really seen you present at too many events. Um, you know, a, a fellow colleague in the space uh, told me a little bit about Tantalus and what you guys are trying to do. And I, th- I thought it'd be a fun conversation to talk about, you know, how you guys are basically 
uh, introducing some technology or new way uh, to answer some of the grid problems that we have going on out there. So, you know, with that, you know, uh, to start us off, what, what would you say is that one line that best describes Tantalus? So um, Tantalus is a technology company that is building solutions to help utilities, predominantly electric utilities, but utilities really modernize the way in which they deliver electricity or water and gas to each of us, which we consume every day. Um, and, and the crux of what we do is, is put devices in the field um, that we get paid for. And then from those devices, we're accessing and analyzing data um, that drive our enterprise software and our AI enabled data analytics to really help the utilities just make smarter decisions every single day. Absolutely. So we're going to dig into all of that, the tech and how it's different, unique compared to your peers out there, even from, you know, your past life, uh, which we'll get into right now, because, you know, I'd love if, if we could get a little bit of a, an overview in history of the company. When did it start? And what was the original problem that Tantalus was looking to solve? Yeah. So Tantalus was founded um, back in 1989 um, by a gentleman named Keith Martin, who hails from the Vancouver, British Columbia area. Um, and so that's why we're headquartered in Burnaby. Um, the business originally was um, created to be a consulting firm um, to a variety of different companies, but mostly utilities and some telecom providers um, that leveraged Keith and, and his core initial team's expertise, which was really the command and control of data across wireless communications technologies. Um, and it really was before the concept of modern day cellular phones, right? I, I, I think of, um, I think of some, some of the great movies from the eighties where the cell phone was, you know, had the satellite, you know, antenna for it. And, um, for, you know, but, um, you know, it, they were focused on really helping access data and controlling that data through um, the initial creation of cellular networks. Um, about 10 years into the business in 1999, um, Keith and his team were attending a conference um, for rural electric utilities here in the United States. It's the NRECA, the National Rural Electric Cooperative Association, um, and was pitching the idea, mostly from a consulting perspective, of how to help utilities start to automate some of their devices, initially meters and then other types of core infrastructure along power lines and into substations. And through those discussions, a utility actually asked Keith and his team if they could build a device that could help actually deliver what he was talking about. And so um, in the, you know, the next couple of years of the company's business, it really focused on converting from a consulting company to a technology and product business. Um, and so Keith set out with the team to start building what is now the basis of our company. Um, we're three generations into the technology and have made significant advancements over a 20 year period. Um, but, but that's the basis of the history of the company. And it's really always been, you know, initially consulting, but now for the last 20 years focused on developing and building technology that solves problems for utilities. In, in terms of my introduction to the company, um, I was recruited into the board. I'm not the founder, <clears throat> um, but I was recruited by the board of directors when we were privately held back in the 2014 timeframe. Uh, I think Keith and the team did a great job of, of building their next generation, third generation 
um, device, which was capable of accessing a ton of data. I'll give you a little show and tell. Um, this is like the guts of your iPhone, um, but it's embedded behind the face of a meter. And if you looked at the side of your home or apartment building, you'd see a meter. There's one over my shoulder that's enclosed in glass, but you'd see this is the face of the meter on your home, apartment, or business. And so um, Tantalus did a great job with Keith on, on the hardware, the device, access, connectivity, data. Um, they brought The board brought me in to really help think through what do we do with all that data and how do we expand the business? And so I've um, had the real the, the pleasure and, and um, you know, the opportunity to lead the company um, since joining in 2014 and, and just recently migrated from being a privately held venture-backed company to now a publicly traded company on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Absolutely. So I wanted to get into your background a little bit because it's not like you just, a, you know, some, uh, you know, some normal hired gun coming into a smart grid company. I mean, you came in after being CEO of BPL Global, which was also a smart grid company, and you sold that to Danaher back in 2013. So what, what was it about Tantalus that you saw as, a, as an opportunity for you to come in and, and, you know, hopefully take it to the next level? Yeah. So um, as it relates to the, the decision, we were, um, I, I had the you know, fortunate opportunity to serve in a CEO capacity um, for the first time in my career for, at BPO Global, um, which you referenced and, and was able to help the company scale quite nicely up to a, a really successful outcome through a trade sale to Danaher Corporation. Um, and, and BPO Global was similarly focused in what's now called smart grid or, or this, this industry of building technology to help utilities. Um, I really wanted to stay in the industry. I think Danaher um, just had some, a, a different vision of, of moving people around within our organization. Um, and so just opportunity, um, and actually the, the opportunity surfaced through a, a, a good close friend that was part of my graduate school work, uh, JD MBA classmate who, um, was affiliated with a venture fund that had invested in Tantalus. And so that's how they, that's how we kind of connected small world. Um, but what attracted me was, was just this and not, not, not to, not to inundate with show and tell, but Tantalus was just completing the development of this device. It was really its first of its kind, a Linux based edge computing module, um, microchip, custom ASIC that can do parallel processing of data, RAM and flash memory, communications capability, backup power. Um, and so BPL Global was a little bit more software centric. Um, previously in my career, I, I worked for a software development firm, not, not smart enough to write zeros and ones, but, but smart enough to at least participate with the engineers alongside them um, from, a, from a business development and strategy perspective. And, and so it was the power of the device that Keith and the team had developed and were just starting to bring to market for the first time and what that device could do in terms of harnessing data. And, and it's really, it's really the, the data of power, right? It's, it's the consumption data, the power quality data, things that most people don't think about. Um, but I saw that as an opportunity of, of leveraging what is now you know, accumulating and continuing to build every day of, of we, we today on average are capturing about 30 billion data points across the utilities we support tied to consumption and power quality. And we're just starting to scratch the surface on how we monetize that data for our investors. 
Absolutely. Okay. So let's dig into the business a little bit more. You know, I think it might be helpful to maybe take a, a quick step back just to understand, you know, how the utilities industry and how, how everything really works, you know, the data, data capture, everything along those lines, how, how everything works right now. And then what, and then, you know, you already talked about the system a little bit, but how the, how the technology, the device itself is unique and different compared to what's being done currently today. Sure. So a lot of um, some investors, I should say, um, and and there are a number of companies that have over the past several decades focused on something called advanced metering infrastructure. AMI is the abbreviation. Um, It it actually dates back to something called AMR, which is automated meter reading. And so when most people think of smart grid or they think of what we do, they immediately default to a meter manufacturer or an electric or water meter um, company that that is all about taking a meter on the side of the home. um, And instead of having a manual meter reader show up once a month to take a reading in the world of the electric utility, or even once every three months in the world of a water utility in most areas of the United States is, is automating that process and eliminating the manual processes of someone physically visiting the side of someone's home or building. With that said, surprisingly, almost a third of utilities today, maybe 25%, something though significant, are still relying on manual meter reading, if you can believe that in today's world. Um, And so um, where we're a little bit different and where, um, where we get excited is we're not the meter manufacturer. We partner with meter manufacturers Um, But we're really the edge computing capability and the way in which we have designed our device, our mod, we call it our Tantalus communications module, Um, the way we've designed it, the way we continue to engineer it, it very much operates like your iPhone. So where a lot of, uh, I think, investors have thought of us initially, and as we kind of still build awareness, we're we're relatively new to the public markets, but a lot of them just look at a a comparable in the eyes of, of, a water, of a meter manufacturer like ITRON. Right? Big differences from a financial perspective that we can get into in more detail from what we are. I, I think of us more, not out of convenience, but, but more like Apple, not, not on the consumer side, but think about it. I, I, I'm sure you and, and everyone listening has one of these in their hands, if not one or two of them, right? I, I rely on my iPhone every day, constantly. And so what has Apple done? They've gotten us to buy this device. We'll pay twelve to $1,500 to renew, right, get the latest and greatest camera or whatever else every year and a half or two years, maybe three years if we're lucky. And, and then it's all the apps. Right? It's, the, it's the firmware upgrades that can happen that you can download through a network to make your life, to make you know everything that you do more enjoyable and more efficient. Well, that exact same parallel, right? That same scenario is what we're doing for the utility. Our device is this. If I cracked open my iPhone, you'd find a module just like this, different shape, different size. And so what we're doing is much like where Apple was several years ago, iPhone 1 versus now iPhone 13. We're kind of on our right module. This is module three for us. But what do we do with connectivity and data across every device that a utility deploys in the distribution grid? And so that's that's really... I think we take a different approach. 
we don't come out of the metering sort of mindset of how do we sell more meters? We take the mindset of how do we access data? How do we do that very reliably for the utility? And then what can we do with that data? How do we solve real problems? Example, how do we help them mitigate fire risk where you live, right? Which is a real world issue today in California on the West Coast, or even in Texas with the ridiculous heat that they had this weekend, right? Where they're just, they're just massive, right? Brownouts because the, the, the air conditioning and the load can't keep up. Magnify that with electric vehicles and extreme temperatures, hot or cold, you have massive inefficiencies in the grid that will bring it down, that will cause outages, that will be inconvenient for all of us and we'll be pissed. And, and it puts people's life in danger. So it's, it's, it's the, I think it's our approach, which is first and foremost, the core difference of how we distinguish ourselves. The technology, certainly the way in which we go about accessing data, and, and then it's the data, how we analyze that data, the, Apple, the analytics engine, the, the enterprise software, the user interface for the utility to just be that much smarter every single day. And once our systems are deployed, um, they're there for 12 to 15 years at a minimum. We now have utilities entering a third decade with us, so over 20 years of relying on our technology and upgrading along the way. And every day and every year, their system gets smarter and smarter based on the data that we collect. And our software engineers are working furiously to think through how do we monetize that data and how do we ultimately solve problems. So it's, it's, we, we take a data-centric approach, whereas a lot of other companies in the space take a device or meter-centric approach, if that makes sense. So help me understand then what is the, what's the, you say you're taking a data-centric approach and you're looking to monetize some of that data. So what are some of the ideas that are you're looking to, I guess, deploy um, in order to help solve that problem? At least, you know, monetize that data for shareholders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so um, if it's okay, I'll give you a couple of real-world examples. All right, let's okay. go. So, so most recently, um, we support um, a number of utilities in the Southwest. Um, one of them is, is in the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And small utility, and it, it wraps um, around a couple of ski resorts. So good to go there during the winter and always visit the utilities at that time, at least for me as, as a passionate skier. Um, but but they, the, the utility supports two towns, two communities that are kind of on either side of a mountain pass. And so in between those two towns, you, you got to go around the mountains. You can't go up and over. And what they've done is, is they've put power lines through the mountains um, or that mountain pass that, that aren't accessible by road. Um, that power line is, is constantly subjected to extreme weather events, right? Snow, wind, a lot of trees banging into those power lines when the wind blows. Um, and so historically what the utility has done is, is to try to not only maintain reliability, power to both locations, um, but from a safety perspective, you know, they, they used to put guys on and they still do, they put them in an ATV, run them down the lines, they inspect manually um, the power lines about once a year, maybe twice a year, just to see, is the power line okay? Is it starting to, is the insulation starting to erode? Is, is vegetation growing on it? If so, climb up with saws and cut it down, cut the trees down. Um, and so, you know, they, they started to get a little bit more advanced with drones um, to supplement the very expensive and frankly time-consuming process of getting utility people on ATVs into areas that, you know, God forbid someone gets hurt, 
it's really hard to evacuate them out. So um, what we've done is, is with devices deployed in both towns, we can start to track data around power quality. So what does power quality mean to, to someone not in the utility industry? You may um, witness this at your home, Robert, or in buildings that you're in or, or, or used to work at prior to COVID of, of lights blinking, right? Well, there, there's actually a technical term in the utility industry called a blink. Well, blink is a momentary disruption of power that's delivered to a meter or an endpoint. Um, what we're able to do with analytics based on data is, is we're tracking where those blinks are, how often they happen and when they happen. We can then triangulate those blinks based on weather patterns. So if the wind starts to blow, do those blinks increase or decrease? If they increase, we can draw further analysis through analytics and math to determine, is it tied to a loose connector that's shaking in the wind? Is it tied to a tree hitting a power line? Every time a tree hits a power line, it's a momentary disruption to the flow of those electrons through the power line. So what we've been able to do is help that utility in particular identify, unbeknownst to them and blind to the normal eye, that they started to have a crack in insulators and insulation on that power line because certain trees that their team just didn't catch were hitting the power lines more frequently. And so you can think about vegetation management for this utility in Colorado, it actually ties to now a multi-pronged fire prevention program that they've had to implement, mandated by the state of Colorado, right? Is, which is unfortunately seeing these horrendous wildfires, bad for the environment, but also taking out communities. So data from devices, power quality through analytics, helped this utility pinpoint that they had a serious issue unfolding. They weren't aware of it. The net result of it is they immediately went to their board. They got incremental approval in CapEx expenditures that weren't budgeted for several years out. They weren't planning on touching that power line for several years, but understanding that they had a serious issue, they were able to get approval to bring forward CapEx expenditures, and most importantly, spent the money where it needed to be spent to solve a problem that worst case scenario, best case scenario, leads to an outage. Worst case scenario, power line breaks through that insulation, hits a live wire, tree erupts in flames. You got a problem. So that's a real world example of how data can be used. And for us, how do we quantify the return on investment of maintaining the infrastructure to improve the safety and reliability scores of utilities? There's quantifiable value there. So that's what I mean by quantifying and, and monetizing data. That's one example. I'll take a break. We got a few others, if it's of interest to you to sort of explain it on other well, stream uh, events. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think I would love to hear another example and, and maybe in the context of how you scale this, because even just in that example alone, I mean, that's, it's very specific. That seems like you need, you know, a good amount of people to make sure that you're reading the data correctly, then providing the right reports and saying, hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're finding. You know, it's not just something that, you know, the computer uh, computer can spit out a result for you, right? So from a business perspective, how do you scale all these types of capabilities that Tantalus has? So the actual analytics tool that I just walked you through, we call it the Tantalus Grid Reliability Analytics Tool. We launched it um, commercially in October of last year. Um, we 
did a lot of the development work in partnership with the utility in Colorado, along with a few other utilities, but that actually is 100% automated. Um, the analytics tool is generating a report and there are graphs, there are alerts, and it ties into um, a weather system that the utility relies on. Um, it, it, it ties into a, a GPS system that they rely on um, to figure out where their assets are. Um, so that the software and the analytics actually can send an alert problem. The utility then will have personnel that are monitoring our systems. And depending on the utility, they may have someone that looks at it every day. They may set it up and we can help them do this. We can send a text alert. We can send an email alert. Hey, something's changed here. And the utilities can set the parameters, effectively tolerance. How bad does it have to get before they need someone to pay attention? That's all automated. And that's all configurable through software. So that's an example um, for the utility on how they leverage it. There are some utilities that are looking to us now that we can present that type of data to potentially provide an additional, not only provide the analytics tool, but provide a service. We'll monitor that application for them. We'll ultimately call their command center. Hey, you got a problem. You need to roll a truck to this location. And it's probably one of two or three things. So bring the right equipment or make sure you got the right truck. So that's an example of where we think we can expand the business for utilities that may just not have the people, the resources, or the expertise to know what to do with the analysis that we're able to provide. Internally, it's all about software developers. Um, so you know, we, we, within our organization, we've got 130 to 135 employees. Um, over half of those are in the engineering department. Within that, the vast majority are software, either you know, true head-end um, or back-end database-type software developers. Um, we have firmware experts. So how do you get software embedded on, on this device? So we've got a lot of that, obviously QA. And then we have some mechanical engineers and some hardware engineers. Um, so one of the big obstacles that we have is particularly in absorbing some of the costs that we've uh, absorbed and going public, and how do we absorb those costs and simultaneously continue to invest in the business to try to bring in as many software developers as we need to consistently enhance and um, think through how we do some really neat things with the data that we're capturing. I mean, when I you hope I answered your, I hope I answered no, your. no, that that definitely answered my question. I appreciate that. So, you know, I'm. You know, you think about the market opportunity here and, uh, you know, I, you you and your team were kind enough to send me some materials. And it looks like from what I can tell is that the initial uh, market opportunity that you're looking to go into is North America, a little bit of the Caribbean as well. But, you know, again, just from that example and some others that I'm sure you have in your, in your pocket here, you know, it's, it's, it's a big, big market opportunity, right? Let's be real. So, so 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 what's what's the strategy to start kind of carving into some some of these areas and where I mean where, where's the first ones that you're looking to take what which utilities are you looking to get into first and where and you know, I'd love to hear your answer there yeah so the heritage so in let me let me draw this into the United States a little bit more specifically in the United States depending on where you live there, there are if you're in a major metropolitan area right you're, you're in Southern California is an example um that, that, that's going to be um, Southern Cal Edison, right? Big investor-owned utility. You go down to San Diego, San Diego Gas and Electric, you know, traded on the New York Stock Exchange. Up in San Francisco, PG&E, unfortunately in the press for a lot of wrong reasons, but still a, a rich history of delivering power to 
um, you know, one of the technology hubs in the world in San Francisco in the Bay Area. On my coast in the New York metropolitan area, Con Edison, right? Th those are the household names that people know. There are about 150 of those. I'm rounding for convenience, but there are about 150 of those in the U.S. And they cover about two thirds of the electric market in the United States. The balance third are covered by what are known of, of public power and electric rural cooperative utilities or just electric cooperative utilities. So example, the city of Chattanooga in Tennessee, that city owns its own electric distribution company called the Electric Power Board of Chattanooga, EPB. The city of Riverside in California, not too far from Anaheim, it owns its own utility, Riverside Public Utilities. So within the public power and electric cooperative space, there are almost 3,000 utilities, right? Just aggregated across the US. You wouldn't have an appreciation for that. Some of them are fewer than a thousand meters. Some of them are several hundred thousand meters that they're responsible for. Tantalus grew up focusing on this market segment, the public power and the electric cooperative segment. Today, we support about 250 utilities of those 3,000. So we're not quite at 10% of the market that we're focused on today. Um, but from our perspective, there's still a very rich and robust opportunity to really help modernize these smaller utilities that typically don't have the budget or the resources like Con Edison or PGE or Southern Cal Edison. And so in many circumstances, the utilities we're supporting, they're really lend, they're leaning on us through a multi-decade relationship to help them figure out how to support their communities. They're community focused, they're not investor focused. And so that helps us align our purpose, hence the, the sign behind me, it's not just marketing, it's real. Um, but we see continued growth within the market segment that we have historically focused on. With that said, we also just recently completed our first acquisition as a public company earlier this year, software company out of California, small group, about 10 folks um, up in the Bay Area. Um, but what, what they do is, is for utilities, they're developing a software protocol. Um, it's an IEEE standard that's emerging to help utilities be able to translate data from EV chargers, from solar inverters tied to solar panels on top of people's roofs, um, to microgrids, which are being deployed at the commercial and industrial level. And, and so most of their customer base are actually the large investor-owned utilities, which we have historically not focused on. So um, not only are we picking up software that is applicable for our historical customer base, we're also picking up a customer base now with credibility to go in and try to expand our sales and ultimately expand our market focus. So that's how we're trying to scale it in the United States. A lot of the software that we're doing, particularly this business that we just acquired, are working in a few other regions of the world. And we're, we're excited in the second half of this year to share some announcements about um, some initial international expansion, again, to continue to expand the total addressable market that we can pursue relative to the people that we have and the resources that we can afford um, within our budget to, to tackle things as they come. Very good. So what would you say are some of the key industry trends that are driving the smart grid spend? Sure. So a um, couple macro, couple micro. Um, at the macro level, 
right? We, we unfortunately are seeing this across the US, certainly the Caribbean, even into areas of Canada, just in our current area of focus, I, I, I'm not ignoring the rest of the world and tragedies that are happening um, globally, but right, we're, we're witnessing just an increased frequency of extreme weather. It, it doesn't matter what your point of view is about climate change and, and global warming. The fundamental facts are that we are seeing an increased number of extreme storms that are wreaking havoc on communities and areas, billions of dollars of loss, economic loss every year, and unfortunately, an increasing number of human life loss uh, because of extreme weather events. Right? Those extreme weather events are forcing utilities to proactively think about how to be more resilient in the face of a hurricane. In, in, in more resilient upgrading infrastructure to ensure that they're not the cause of a wildfire, right? Transformer explodes, fire, wind takes those ashes, dry area, fire, bad things happen. So the resiliency piece tied to extreme weather events is a big driver for utilities. Then you kind of take that extreme weather and you look at what's happening in Washington, D.C., and frankly, across the 50 states, some a little bit more progressive than others, um, but we're seeing calls to decarbonize, right? The utility industry in particular, like Biden has set, President Biden has set a number of, and, and the Democratic administration have set a number of mandates that are already in motion to decarbonize the utility grid. And so that means all of a sudden renewables, big generation, wind farms, solar, but also micro, right? Distributed generation, rooftop panels, rooftop solar panels, microgrids, battery walls, Right. Generac, I, I, I can't go a day on CNBC without seeing probably 50 commercials from Generac with their battery wall. I get it. Right. Powerful stuff. No pun intended there. Um, and not promoting them versus others. But right, it's, it's in our face. Y you then get right the consumer side of things of electrifying everything that we do. Um, and so, so think about that. We're, I haven't yet, but I've got an order in for an electric vehicle. It'll be my first in our family. Um, I've got two young kids that are soon to start driving, a 15-year-old who's, who's going to get her permit soon. She doesn't want a gasoline car, and she told me she's never going to pump gas in her life, not because she'll outsource that by pump, because she wants an electric vehicle, because in her mind, it's fundamentally better for the environment, right? Education's working. Um, so when you think about that, we're talking about electrifying everything in our world while simultaneously asking utilities to decarbonize everything get rid of coal, get rid of other things, rely on more renewables, which by definition aren't constant, right? The sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow, and simultaneously deliver more power. That's a lot to unpack there, but if you think about it, we got extreme weather events that are forcing utilities to upgrade infrastructure. We have calls to decarbonize the industry because of extreme weather, right? With billions of dollars in stimulus grants that will flow through over the next three to five years, some of which is already in motion. And then we have consumers and businesses wanting to electrify everything and investing in electric vehicles, solar panels, battery walls, and everything else, right? So that we leave less of an impact on the environment. And so that's a cascading set of issues for the utility, right? To, to, to sort of prepare for a doubling of the amount of power that they'll have to deliver by 2050 while simultaneously getting rid of some of the most reliable sources of power that this country has relied on for the past 100 years. 
And so it's, it's that challenge macro level that creates micro opportunity for Tantalus to help utilities digitize their grid, understand where is power being consumed, when is it being consumed, and what's the power quality that they are delivering, and how are our patterns changing as we make investments so that they can actually plan three years, five years, seven years, and 10 years out, which is the utility model. They're planning today for the next 10 years. They're not planning today for tomorrow. It's just not the way they work because it takes a long time to upgrade infrastructure, expensive and time consuming. And so right, we're trying to give them as much visibility as possible so that their system plans can consistently evolve as our world changes rapidly, especially with the electrification of transportation. Very good. And I'll get, and, I'll get off the soapbox on that. No, no, that, no. Listen, I appreciate that. I think that was a really good explanation of, you know, what some of the trends are, as well as the tailwinds, you know, not just for Tantalus, but for the smart grid industry Correct. itself. So, you know, speaking of that, I mean, what does the competitive landscape look like? You know, who is Tantalus competitors out there in the field? So we compete with some of the largest meter manufacturers in the world. Um, we also partner with some of those meter manufacturers. And you'll see that the, the meter uh, over that shoulder um, is, is, you know, from one of the largest meter manufacturers in the world. They're, they're a great partner for us, but we also compete with them head to head to sometimes. Um, so we see meter manufacturers in our space for sure. Um, we are seeing an increased number of large equipment manufacturers and service providers to the utility industry. So the Schneiders, the Eaton's, the Hubbles of the world, um, the Siemens of the world, you know, they, they really want to automate the distribution grid too. Um, there's a lot of merit to it. There's also significant opportunity um, for, for businesses to, to help utilities prepare and ultimately make those upgrades. So, so we see some of the large, right, multi-global, you know, global multi-billion dollar institutions um, on occasion as well. Um, we also see some of the software companies, you know, so Oracle, they're all about data. Um, we see a little less so Google, but you know Google's a little bit more focused on the consumer, Nest thermostats, what's happening inside the home. I think we're crossing over that chasm of you know the utilities typically gone to the meter and very reluctantly gone into the home. We see that paradigm changing very quickly where the utility is not just going to go to the meter, but they're going to go into the home, into the building, into the plant to try to gain more granular control of devices to better regulate, monitor, the supply and demand of electricity. Um, and so I, I would envision that we start running into some of the biggest data-driven companies in the world at some point. Um, and, you know, we, we, we'll see some of the, on occasion, um, some smaller startups that, that are back, that are, that are trying to skin the cat, um, similar to us or taking a little bit different approach. Um, so there, there's no doubt there's competition. I think, you know, we, we, we've been pretty successful against the biggest of the bigs and the smallest of the smalls. Um, you know, on average, our, our sales organization is converting about 20 new utilities a year for the last eight plus years. Give you some data points. When I joined in 2014, Tantalus was supporting 55 utilities. Um, you know, we drove that to well over 200 at the end of 2021. Um, we were about 220 at the end of 2021. Um, through our acquisition, we've picked up another 40 utilities um, and we've converted utilities through Q1 and Q2 of this year. So, you know, we're, we're, we're now in excess of 250 utilities in the aggregate and scaling as quickly as we can. Um, so I think that's a good indication that we're on the right track. 
uh, we, we become a very trusted partner um, that, that helps us secure more accounts. And, and one of the, I think the statistics that we're most proud of, Robert, is once we get a utility to um, lock into our technology and decide to use us as a trusted technology partner, our retention rate over the last two decades, not annual, over two decades is 99.4%. So when you think about that universe of over 250 utilities in our history, right, fewer than 1% of those utilities have ultimately used our system and decided to go elsewhere at the end of the deployment, which is typically 12 to 15 years. The vast majority of utilities are renewing with us. They're upgrading as we come out with new devices and new software. And it's a great source of recurring and repeatable revenue from our customer base. Got it. And congrats on that. That's that's pretty huge. Um, it, it's it's I, I don't know of any other organization in our industry that can tout that type of retention rate over that period of time. It's, it's a great indication of what we're doing. I was going to say, I mean, working in utilities, you would think you if you're going to if you're worth your your weight in any sense, like you have to have high retention rate. Otherwise, you know, what are you doing? You need to get out. Right. Or, or the utility needs to make a change. So right. Yeah. Utilities are risk averse. It takes a while to convince them that we're the right partner, but once we do, we're, we're there um, yeah. long-term. And, and the nice thing, when you think about immediate near-term issues in the United States, right. We're, I wouldn't say recession proof, but utilities are consistently spending. People are always going to be consuming electricity. And so, um, you know, we've got a very stable set of customers that are continuing along their plans every single year to scale our job as an executive team and as a management team, as a company is to figure out how do we get more of those utilities adopting our technology? And then how do we consistently evolve that technology to deliver more value? So I want to get to a few corporate questions because as, as you mentioned that the uh, earlier in this interview that the uh, the company went public in early 2021 via an RTO with uh, Rise Tech, uh, yep. the company raised about uh, 10 million Canadian. You know, I'm, I'm just curious why, why, why did the company decide to go public? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> um, I'd say we not, notwithstanding downward pressure on the share price, which we've seen, um, overall, it's, it's been a great um, direction for our business. And, and so specifically to your question, Tantalus um, grew up as a private company with a number of venture capital firms. And if you're familiar with the way venture capital firms work, you get money and then when you have to go back, you know, there's another round and it typically, right, you start to get liquidation preferences and preferred A on top of preferred B, right, on with preferred C. And so the, the cap structure of, of, I think, in the venture world eventually leads, even for successful companies as they need to continue to scale and access more capital to grow, inherently you have some form of recapitalization. Right, either the big fish comes in and, and converts everybody else to common stock, um, and so we, we started when we started to think about what to do with our business. Um, we needed capital to really accelerate a number of key growth initiatives. A good example of that is that analytics tool that we spent a lot of time talking about today. We needed money to hire some additional developers to get that formulated, designed developed and commercialized. Um, and so when we thought about accessing more capital, um, you know, we, we, we looked at sort of the, the PE market. We were still a little bit small. We looked at the venture growth market. Um, we looked at our own existing set of venture capitalists. And I think what we concluded at the board level and among the 
key shareholders in the company is that it was time to kind of normalize the cap structure to common stock, simplify things for management, and find a new access, um, a new pool of capital that, that could support what we're doing long term. Um, and so as a Canadian-based company, you know, the TSX was a good landing spot for that. We were able to um, access the 10 million that you referenced. And then as soon as we went public, we, we up, uplisted to the TSX and filed a prospectus and did an overnight financing with our investment banking syndicate and secured another $10 million. So we did it in tranches. Um, but, you know, we accessed over 20 million Canadian dollars pretty efficiently. Um, I think the valuation was reasonable and fair for our shareholders as well as new investors. Again, not, notwithstanding how things have changed in the market near term. Um, but that, that was part, part one was accessing capital. Part two was simplifying our capital structure to common stock, which is where we sit today. Um, and, and then the third element to that was how do we leverage the equity, the common stock, with everyone sitting pari pursue or equal to each other, and the capital on our balance sheet? How do we go out and then execute on key growth initiatives? Organic developers, inorganic acquisition of the software company in California. And I think by being a public company, we've got you know, access to additional money. Um, if we have a defined use of proceeds and, and find something really strategic where we need additional capital to the balance sheet, um, I think we have a pretty effective mechanism and a good investment banking syndicate to help us do that. Um, you know, I'd say as a small company, certainly with the trials and tribulations of supply chain constraints, or COVID to supply chain constraints to inflation pressures, not easy for small companies to navigate that and have to report quarterly. But frankly, it's also making us more disciplined as managers. And I think that leads to, to better things for this company long term. So another question I have for you, and you actually kind of answered this already a little bit beginning, but this, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. And um, it has to do with what investors get most confused about when they think about the company. And you mentioned earlier how, you know, they think utility is immediately it's a meter manufacturer when, you know, you think of yourself more as a software company. But what what else is it? You know, you've done a couple events here and there, um, met with investors, obviously, you have investment banking relationships, funds, all that stuff. But what what have been some of the frequently asked questions that maybe we can address here today? Yeah, so um, it's it's a great leading question, um, Robert. So thank you for it. Um, one of the key elements that I think is misunderstood is we we see a lot of investors, um, and they are looking at a multitude of opportunities, um, and and so right, it, it it's hard in a meeting um, or a series of meetings to really convey what we do. Um, when you look at our business and you look at our valuation metrics today relative to consensus, um, we are being valued as if we are 100% one-time revenue hardware business at low gross margin. And we are quite the inverse. Um, our, our blended gross margin is in the mid to upper 40th percentile. That is not indicative of a hardware company. Um, our revenue mix while still a majority comes from the devices, right? We, we are always going to sell those devices. We actually make good money and margin on those devices. Right? But 35%, actually 36% to be more precise in Q1 of this year came from software and services. Um, peeling the layers of the onion back, or maybe the parfait, a little bit better than an onion, but by peeling the layers back of our business, Right. We actually have $9 million USD. We report in US dollars, even though we're on the Canadian exchange, TSX. We have $9 million of recurring, high quality, high margin business. The margin on that recurring revenue is, is 
in the 70th percentile, right? So that continues to grow every year. And I love, I love charts and metrics. In 2016, we had less than $3 million of recurring revenue. In 2021, right, end of 2021 and into cheating a little bit, Q1 of 2022, we now have $9 million. I'm rounding a little bit, but nine million. We've tripled recurring revenue in effectively five years. So the, the valuation of that recurring revenue should far surpass where our valuation is today. And I think that's an untapped opportunity for investors, especially as I get smarter about how we articulate the software aspects, the stickiness of what we do, and the ability, right? We've now got a track record, bring tools in, drive recurring revenue through software and analytics, and ultimately scale that aspect of our business aggressively. I think that's an element that's misunderstood of our business. I think the easy thing for investors to do is say exactly what you said, utility, smart grid, meters, right? Not attractive. I really think that's a, a, a missed investment opportunity. Second, and not to be too long-winded, where the other missed opportunity that I see from questions with investors is, I, I don't know if you have an electric vehicle yet, some people I'm sure that may listen to this have or will have soon. I've got an order in for an F-150 Lightning. I'm gonna replace my existing F-150. Um, that device will pull 19 kilowatts of power to charge, getting the, the large battery, not the small battery. 19 kilowatts is the equivalent of adding six new four to five ton central air conditioning units on my home, six, right? The utility's not prepared for that. The power line's not prepared for that. The pull top transformer that feeds power to six or seven homes on my block is not prepared for that. My one vehicle won't take our little neighborhood down, our little block down. But when my neighbor gets a Tesla or a Chevy or a Honda or whatever their preference is, a vehicle, or BMW or Mercedes, when we start to see a second and a third and a fourth electric vehicle right, show up, it will have massive consequence on the reliability of the grid. So for investors that are investing on the trend of increased electric vehicle adoption and increased charging infrastructure, right, the complementary component of that is making sure there's enough power to charge those vehicles. That's where we come into play. We're at the forefront of it with what we do. And I think that's a great opportunity for investors and certainly for us as, as shareholders of the company to continue to invest behind what we're doing. Absolutely. No, you know, it's funny and listening to, to, you know, doing, speaking with you today, you know, you can't help but think like, why hasn't there been a nest like version of Tantalus coming out of the VC world? That's like the hottest new tech thing that clearly is, is, hitting, you know, all these different trends that are, that are happening right now. You know, you'd be, I, maybe it's just my own ignorance. That I haven't done the extra digging to see if there is anything like that, but it's curious that there, there hasn't been even something like that yet. Yeah. There were, there were a couple that came out um, and went public and had a lot of fanfare um, and, just, and very lofty valuations. Um, I think one of the big differences, and, and this is something that investors, right, have to think about long-term versus short-term, depending on investment horizon. Sure. Nest is a great example. It's tied to consumers. Consumers make decisions pretty quickly. Do they go to Home Depot to buy it or are they not? 
Do they contemplate it? Right. And Nest Thermostat was pretty expensive when it first came out. Um, they've done a great job of trying to explain why it's worth spending that money up front on the thermostat and the app over time um, to save money, being more efficient inside your home. Utilities don't move at the same pace of a consumer market. Utilities are very deliberate. When they move, they move in scale, but it takes them a long time to move. So, right, that doesn't lend itself too well to the venture model, which is right up in and out within ideally three to five years, maybe 10 years max with right? Typical fund maturation process, 10-year fund plus two years for incremental time for their portfolio to materialize. It, it takes a while for utilities to really move in mass. And so it doesn't lend itself to massive quarterly growth or year-over-year -year growth. I mean, I, I think relative to some of the comps that um, are the analysts that cover us are, are tracking us to you know, we gave guidance to 20 to 25% growth year over year this calendar year. Um, you know, I think we're, we're on a good trajectory to continue to deliver that based on what we've conveyed to the market um, through our Q1 financials. And we'll provide an update on where we sit uh, through Q2 shortly in August, a couple of weeks away. But, you know, 20% growth in our industry is substantial. It doesn't necessarily get the attention of a lot of VCs or a lot of, um, you know, I'd say faster moving money. Um, with investors. But with that said, I, I think we're in a position where we can start to drive increased growth rates over the next three and five years because utilities are going to be spending an unprecedented amount of money that's coming through the Biden administration. And that those dollars are already flowing. And so we're starting to see some of the benefit of that. To that end, I, you know, our, our pipeline has never been bigger. Our pipeline today sits at, um, well, at the end of Q1, I should say, it was almost um, $500 million dollars of opportunity in front of us. And, you know, we're, we're, we're last year a $32.2 million revenue company. So I think the future is pretty bright for us. Absolutely. So I got two more questions for you. You know, um, we talked about, you know, some of the catalysts, the trends, a lot of the tailwinds, but, you know, play devil's advocate. I ask this to everybody on here, you know, in your opinion, what would you say are some of the company's downside risks? Um. I'm trying to think in prioritized order sure. um, and, and maybe in the interest of time, I, I won't sit here and contemplate. Um, so I'll just, I'll just uh, give you some stream of consciousness on it. Okay. Uh, biggest risk I see is, is human capital. Um, a lot of pressure in the job market today. Um, we fortunately have not seen too much turnover, but we've seen more turnover certainly in the last six months than we've seen over the last six years. Our, our retention rate has been, um, not as good as we are with our customers, but you know, a, a high 90 um, retention rate. We, we get people that are here for a long time. We've seen that change a little bit. And we're seeing that with the younger generation, um, particularly with hires that we've brought in through this COVID episode where we've migrated, you know, mostly still remote, but some hybrid. You know, it's hard to get someone indoctrinated into the culture of this business and understand what we're doing. And frankly, develop relationships with people outside of a computer screen. So human capital is, is an issue that keeps me up at night. Um, the second issue is, is this worldwide phenomenon on the shortage of microchips. I, I'll show you our device again. That, that's a custom ASIC that we have two fabricators build for us. Um, fortunately, our two fabricators have been pretty consistent. Um, we haven't seen decommits. At any point, um, we have seen extended lead times. But, you know, if, if there's another crunch of, of, of 
just the, the microprocessors and, and electronic components that can impact our ability to build the devices that ultimately get deployed in the field, we get paid up front and then drive that recurring revenue thereafter. So that's the second thing that's risk for us and we're still navigating through it. Um, you know, the third risk is, is frankly, um, for us, when we think about our growth strategy, it's our current liquidity in the market. Um, you know, I think we're a little bit surprised that we haven't been able to build more awareness and see a little bit more volume. Some of that is because 85% of the company is held by institutions about five to six percent is held by insiders so we don't have a great retail following yet um if we can't figure out that liquidity issue it, it impacts our ability to influence other companies that we may want to acquire to accelerate the growth of the company to take stock if if all of a sudden they see something that's really liquid um so that, that's that's the third issue um it's it's a capitalization i mean capitalization in terms of trying to build that awareness um and and, and trying to get the volume um expanding as, as a small cap, micro cap company on the TSX. So those are three off, uh, you know, quickly that are unprepared for you, but, but three that I think are real and ones that we're very much focused on as a management team and a board of directors. Absolutely. It's a chicken or the egg situation too. Uh, very, very much. Right. All right. So my final question then for you today is, you know, from what you can tell us, where would you like to see the company in three to five years? And what are the inflection points that you think will get you there? Um, so we've had some press releases about um, a new device that we're really excited about. It's called the TrueSense IP Gateway. Um, we started communicating that last year. Um, there will be some increased uh, communications as we continue to make progress on the delivery of the device. Um, it's, it's a first of its kind. Um, that will do a number of things for the utility, but it will allow a utility to bring IP connectivity, either direct fiber connection uh, or private LTE or 5G capability to the meter on the side of the building, the home. That's not necessarily too new. We have some utilities that already do that with fiber direct connect all the way to the home. Um, but that device will allow the utility to deliver broadband services Think about it today, about 20% of the United States does not have broadband access in their homes today. Phenomenal to think about that. Utilities, particularly electric cooperative utilities, are going to step into that void to deal with this broadband divide. It's a societal issue here in the U.S. The device that we're bringing into the field is going to help the utilities be empowered to leverage their existing infrastructure to deliver those broadband services to people that don't get the benefit of living in a major metropolitan area or choosing not to, right? In a more rural footprint where the Verizons of the world or the Comcast and cable visions of the world don't show up too often because it's really expensive for them to lay the infrastructure. So the device is then not only gonna deliver broadband, it will deliver that utility grade Wi-Fi to reach into the house, into the building to get control of those EV chargers the inverters for solar panels or battery walls. Um, that device is something that we're really excited about. It's a huge catalyst for us. I think um, you know we're on pace to, to sort of alpha and beta test it this year. The, we're still on track to commercialize it for next year. And so I could see you know, a great catalyzing event for us on the delivery of that device and the corresponding software and services it's gonna drive for us for the next five to 10 years. Um, so that's an event that's forthcoming. Um, I think the, the stimulus dollars and the job, um, uh, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, it's real money, it's legislated. They're still bickering around budgets, but 
that money is going to flow over a three to five year time frame. And while we're waiting for that, there's still a significant amount of pool of capital that's going into smaller communities where most of the public power and co-op utilities sit um, that are getting, you know, at the town level, at the county level, and at the state level, you know, billions of dollars available to upgrade infrastructure. And I think we're, we're in a good position um, to help utilities get their fair share. So that's another catalyst is, is the entire stimulus grant. The third catalyst is, is boy, as, as, as electric vehicles show up um, and surface, utilities are gonna have pole top transformers that blow. Um, utilities have historically run those devices to fail. Pole top transformers, a little cylinder metal box, you'll see it on a utility pole, depending on the community you live in. Um, those things are run to fail. The one in front of my house is dated from 1982. That's when it was installed. I know it because I've seen and talked to the utility guy that shows up in front of my house and serviced it three times in the last year. Right? They're just trying to keep it alive. When my F-150 shows up, I'm not calling the utility. I don't have to. And so that pole top transformer is going to blow, which means they need to replace it. Normal course, supply chain for a pole top transformer, weeks, maybe a few months. In today's world, over a year. Utilities don't have the inventory for it. So it's forcing them to figure out how do they protect that infrastructure? And that's what's driving the biggest pipeline in our company's history. So a couple of catalysts right there for you. Very good. All right. Well, Peter, with that, I think we covered quite a bit. I'm sure there's more, but you know, I'm, uh, we'll probably do some more interviews down the road. But yeah, yeah. I appreciate it and look forward to diving deeper into the financials at some point if that's of interest in uh and certainly an opportunity for us to explore more. Absolutely. So where can our audience go and find more information on Tantalus? Yeah, so I, I direct them to um, certainly our, our website. We have an investor landing page um, that's up to date with all of our financial filings and our press releases. Um, industry, the, the, the research banking analysts that cover us, there are five up in Canada today. Um, their emails are available on our website and um, they're, I found them to be pretty responsive to inbound inquiries to be added to um, the research distribution list that not only covers Tantalus, but other companies that the analysts um, cover in, 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 in tangent spaces. Um, and so that, that, that's a great wealth of information, you know, and, and we're just getting smart about social media. And so, you know, following us on LinkedIn, following me on LinkedIn, following us on Twitter, um, all of which is, is you can find that sort of on our, on our investor landing page. Great way to continue to get updates on the things that we're doing and the successes that we're achieving for the utilities we support. Very good. All right, Peter, with that, thank you so much for joining me today. I really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. And I look forward to our next update. Yeah, Robert, thanks. And uh, thanks for the questions. I'll look forward to it as well. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.